Hello, my field daisies. Welcome to the 14th episode of Daisyish Days, the podcast. Today's episode is going to be really special because we are doing our first ever update episode. So in today's episode, I am going to be going through the all of the past episodes that I've done and giving you an update on basically the news that is happening around the topics that I've been discussing, the companies, the people, etc. It is going to be a really, really exciting episode. It's this is the longest episode I've ever done as well. So um, you're in for a treat there. I'm actually really proud of myself. I can't believe I've made it to 14 episodes. 14 is also my favorite number. So it is fitting that this episode is going to be the update episode. Um, In terms of a life lesson, I think a really good life lesson that I've learned is to... um, is, is my I have a really hard time living in the moment so I'm either always regretting or thinking about the past or worrying about what the future is going to hold and there's really no point in doing this because you're really missing out on life when you are not in the present moment and that is something that I am still working on and I have to say meditation though as hippy-dippity as it sounds is really really helping and keeping me grounded and I highly recommend it if you have not tried it. Um, a really easy way to get into meditation is through Headspace. And so I've talked about Headspace in one of my sincere shout outs before, but it is basically a meditation app. There is a free version, but you can also pay for a subscription. It is a bit pricey, but I have to say it is worth it. There is a plethora of options out there. Currently, I'm doing a course on happiness. And so yesterday's course was basically envisioning that there is a ray of light beaming on your chest and it's expanding and this idea of light and warmness is expanding in your body and for this particular meditation they really wanted you to think about kindness and basically they wanted you to think about a time that you were kind to somebody and the reaction that they had and this was sort of the light that was expanding in your body and like I said, I know how hippy-dippity it sounds, but it really did make me feel grounded and better and happier. And so also, they really related happiness to not only doing it for yourself, but how it can benefit others around you. So try doing a random act of kindness today. Um, it not only will benefit someone else, but I guarantee you it will benefit you as well. So yeah, without further ado, let's get into this episode. Like I said, it's going to be a bit of a long one, but I promise you it is extremely interesting. All right, let's roll the intro music. Gibson for that wonderful intro song and hello again my field daisies. Like I mentioned in the intro, today's episode is going to be an update episode. So I'm going to be going through all the topics I talked about in the past episodes, the companies, the people, and just give you a little update because there's actually a lot of uh, more news I guess is progressing since I last talked about these topics. So the first episode I talked about was about Snapchat and Snapchat just recently released a new campaign that's sort of promoting 
promoting friendship and saying that Snapchat is about messaging your friends and it's different from other social media because of this. And so the chief marketing officer, Kenny Mitchell, said in an interview that this campaign is really about us celebrating friendships and the importance of friendships and the role that friendships play candidly in our platform. Our platform is really a response to some of the challenges of social media. It's because um, it became a bit of an escape from social media where people can really be themselves. And so I watched a couple of, I guess, the promo videos for this campaign. It's going to be its first international global campaign. And basically they found, I guess, duos or, you know, best friends or friends. And they submitted basically how they were using Snapchat to communicate. And so they had, I guess, over um, like a thousand Snapchat users uh, submit and they narrowed it down basically based on each of the pair's stories along with the criteria that included diversity of location and diversity of backstory and so these videos will be published on snapchat's youtube channel and i think um they also are um, running billboards and stuff like that and the one interesting thing to me about this campaign is that they did a quote-unquote hashtag takeover on one of their biggest rivals instagram and so they basically partnered with quote-unquote quote influencers quote influencers so basically uh people that have an instagram page that is just dedicated to cool quotes and they have and a lot they have actually a good bit of followers these quote accounts and so um i guess they did a a, you know paid sponsorship where they these quote influencers posted quotes um with the iconic yellow snapchat background and just basically quotes from famous people about friends and being friends and um they hashtagged uh these i guess photos with hashtag real friends or hashtag friendship quotes and if you go to these hashtags now actually you can see how they took over um these hashtags because the iconic yellow um of snapchat is so prominent it's a color that most people don't really use and so it's really obvious to see um which quote influencers were paid to do these snapchat promotions um And I think this is particularly interesting because when I first talked about Snapchat way back in the, I don't know, I guess the first episode was released in March. And uh, what really prompted me to talk about Snapchat was in the beginning of the year, there there were rumors that Snapchat was going to make public stories that don't disappear. And I said that I don't think this is necessarily a good idea because it seems to almost be trying to compete with Instagram and you know I just don't think that's really the path to go because Instagram has infinitely more users than Snapchat and the reason why I really enjoyed using Snapchat was Mostly, I mean, I really love their filters. Their filters are so much better than Instagram, but also because it felt more like a messaging app rather than a social media app. It's something that I use to keep in contact with friends and it it didn't necessarily replace texting for me, but it it added another element to texting. So basically I would communicate a lot with a lot of my different friends um, through Snapchat. And uh, I think this campaign is a really good move to distinguish themselves from Instagram. Um, I was a little bit wrong though, because I, you know, I thought, you know, maybe public stories would be kind of cool. 
because I'm, as I mentioned in the first episode, social media is a fickle business and I said that a platform is only as strong as their user base or more importantly, you're as strong as your influencer base, um, you know, celebrities, YouTubers, bloggers, photographers, etc. And I don't necessarily really think that's the case. Um, well, I mean, it's the case for some social media apps, but for Snapchat in particular, I don't think it's necessarily the case. And I think they've realized that. And I think the rumors, because they never confirmed the rumors of making public stories that don't dis- disappear. And so I think they've realized that they need to take another different angle in terms of marketing themselves. And yeah, I think playing more towards um, emphasizing friendships, uh, personal relationships with people that you are actually in contact with every day, not just followers, uh, people who you are sort of close to, but don't that don't necessarily really know the real you. That's what a lot of social media is. And I don't, I, I don't know what study that I read. I think it was when I was reading the Snapchat article that someone said that, you know, while a lot of people have a lot of followers, in terms of real friends, best friends, friends that you talk to every day that know everything about your life, people did in a survey, they said they had about three to four max. And I think this is um, particularly telling and particularly true, um, ex- in, you know, especially in my own experience. While I do have a lot of friends that I keep up with on social media, in terms of friends that I physically call and text every day, it's a pretty slim number. And I think if Snapchat just keeps on, I guess, promoting this sort of idea of, of real, genuine communication, it's not a social media app, it's about stripping away all of the finesse and the um, living my best life brags and really just making it about communication. I think it's going to be really, really good for them. And so Snapchat's campaign comes on the heels of reporting strong financial results. Um, Last week, the company reported it had 203 million daily active users at the end of the second quarter of 2019, up from 190 million in the first quarter. And so revenue also grew 388 million for a 48% year-over-year increase. And this is really, really good for Snapchat because for a a while, they were really uh, diminishing in user base, um, especially after Instagram released its own Instagram stories. A lot of the influencers and big people stopped using Snapchat and a lot of people you know, average J's and average, (laughs) average Jane's and average Joe's also stopped using Snapchat. Um, but and 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 still Instagram has significantly more amount of daily active users and monthly active users like almost three times five times as much but and, you know at the end of the day it's um you know sometimes you, it's not necessarily about reaching the same level as Instagram it's more about sustainability and sustaining um the users that they have and I think what they're doing is really really interesting and I think that's why their stock is surging right now um I really genuinely hope that Snapchat sticks around mainly because I have I've taken so many videos and photos on Snapchat. Um, for those of you who don't use Snapchat, they have this section called Memories, and so you know Snapchat opens up to a camera, but then on the bottom there is sort of like this like two rectangles, and then um, basically if you click that button, it goes through all of the memories and stories that you've saved. And if there's a re- little red tiny dot on this, um, I guess this little icon every once in a while and when you flip up 
up, the first thing that pops up is basically a Snapchat memory from that day. And so you can watch what you posted or saved on that day. And if Snapchat ends up disappearing, I'm going to lose all those memories. So I really, really hope um, it sticks around. All right, now let's talk about Stadia. So in my second episode of the podcast, I talked about Google's new venture, which is called Stadia. It is going to be a video game streaming service. So there's going to be no console needed. And you're basically just going to have a controller that you're going to be able to play games with by streaming the games through your um, internet or Wi-Fi, broadband, whatever. Um, And when I talked about it, uh, there was no mention of any cost or kind of what the subscription um, was going to be. But now there is uh, some more nitty gritty details of what Stadia is actually going to be like. And so Stadia's director of product, Andy Doronchev, I'm really bad at pronouncing names. I'm so sorry, Andy. But yes, so he um, basically did an Ask Me Anything, I guess, interview. And so he gave some details of, I guess, when the launch is going to be. So it's going to be in November 2019. um, And it is going to be just its uh, founder edition with the initial release. And so basically... I think a lot of news um, outlets are talking about how this is going to be the Netflix of um, gaming, which um, Andy said is not necessarily true. So it's not like you're going to be able to pay a monthly subscription and play an unlimited amount of games, as much games as you want. Um, it's mo- it's going to be a two-tier, I guess, subscription service. Um, it's going to be Stadia Pro, and then it's going to be also, I guess, like the um, base subscription. So the base subscription is going to be free. Stadia Pro, I think you have to pay $10 a month and even then you don't get unlimited games. And so when it's going to release in November 2019, it's just going to release its Founders Edition. So you're not going to be able to do the free base tier, um, I think until maybe not until the end of the year or then 2020. And so the Founders Edition is going to be $129.99 and this includes a 4K ready, Chromecast Ultra so it's um, basically it's Fire Stick Apple TV um, dongle and it's going to give you three months of Stadia Pro service and a limited edition controller Ooh, and so um it's like I said, it's not the Netflix of gaming. And so the I guess like what it breaks down to is that the Stadia Pro, they're going to be getting a resolution up to 4K frame rate, 60 frames per second, um, 5.1 surround sound. You can buy games whenever you want. Yes. So you're not going to be able to play unlimited, but you can buy games whenever you want. And there will also be additional free games that will be released regularly. And, um, and then exclusive discounts or whatever. And the Stadia Base, the free version that's coming out in 2020, um, you're only going to get a resolution up to 180, um, I guess, P, whatever. It's not going to be 4K. Um, frame rate's going to stay the same. Sound's going to be stereo, so not as, good as, not as good sound. You can also buy games whenever you want, but there will be no, uh, you won't get the free game access and no exclusive discounts. And so the first free game that Stadia is going to launch for pro users is Destiny 2. Um, I don't know. I think that's a really popular game. Um, when I when I talked about um, video games in my second episode, I talked about how I was starting to get into video games and playing um, the game with Ellen Page. Cannot remember the name of it. Oh, it'll come to me. But I, I, I like I kind of stopped 
playing it um just because I don't know I'm just not a very big video game person I do want to get into video games I've just been busy doing other things um I do think video games are really really interesting um but yeah so the pool of free games it will grow over time but for now I think or well, they're planning on trying to do one game per month. So if you do end up doing the monthly service, um, paying the $10 a month, um, it, it could really be worth it because I think buying the games it's themselves is going to be pretty, pretty pricey. And so the idea of getting a free game, especially if you're an avid ga gamer who likes to play a bunch of different games, it could be really, really interesting. But the problem is, and then I also discussed this in my um, episode two, is the fact that Google has has made a lot of ventures that have fallen through. Um, it's um, it's is try it's um, attempt to be Facebook with um, Google not Google was it Google Plus anyway they did they tried to do a social media service it failed and Google Glasses it's um, smart glasses they also they're not really relevant. And so people were really, really worried that if Stadia falls through, that they won't be able to play their games. And so with the pro subscription, if you end up canceling your pro subscription, you won't have access to all of um, the, the free games until you resubscribe. And so uh, that's a bit, mm, okay, whatever. And then also they said that they are going to be super committed to making Stadia successful. But in the event of a Stadia shutdown, um, the games you buy on Stadia are still yours to play. And then they're going to basically, I guess, roll out a takedown feature so users can still access the game saves metadata and more um, but it's not clear what will happen to the games themselves and if you're still going to be able to play them in the cloud if stadia gets um, shut down um, so that's still not clear i think um, I'm, I'm guessing it, I get, I'm guessing it depends on how many users they actually get. Cause if they get a significant amount of users that I guess can sustain a, um, a long-term, I guess, uh, takedown cloud feature where game, where gamers can still access their games, um, indefinitely, um, then they'll probably do that. But if it's not economically sound for them, I'm assuming they'll probably just, you know, give some sort of compensation in terms of money or like a gift card prepaid card to the Stadia users if Stadia ends up failing. Um, and so something else that is particularly interesting. So at um, the Stadia Connect event for Google, they outlined a strategy that kind of placed Chromecast front and center for the whole Stadia plan. And so um, like I mentioned earlier, Chromecast is basically Google's, you know, Amazon Fire Stick TV, their um, Amazon Fire Stick TV, Apple TV, the Roku, that's their version. But the what makes Chromecast different from all of these versions? One is the price point. It's a significantly cheaper, but it also doesn't give you an interface or a remote. So what you, how you use Chromecast is you plug in the little dongle and then your phone acts like the remote. So you'll have to download Netflix and Hulu and then stream it from your phone onto the TV. And I have some friends that use Chromecast and they, you know, they, they really like it. They, they're not bothered by it. But for me, I wouldn't necessarily want to take up space and um, data on my phone just to download these um 
Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, etc. Like that doesn't sound appealing to me. And I think Stadia is sort of, or well, Google is sort of realizing this. Um, with the controller, um, they can really evolve um, the Chromecast strategy. And so this Stadia handset controller, it uses Wi-Fi to directly connect to a nearby router and stream the game. Um, and so I'm assuming with, I guess, picking out video games, etc., they're going to have to have an interface on the TV or computer or whatever you use. And I'm assuming that they'll integrate much like um, PlayStation and Xbox, how you can also play games, but also use con- your controller to scroll to to um, Netflix and Hulu, etc. I'm assuming they're going to in- integrate a streaming video, I guess, interface platform on the Stadia video game um, interface, if that makes any sense. Um, And then they're also talking about how they're going to be working with Android TV um, for third-party manufacturers to offer this on-screen interface that I'm talking about. And so Android TV, it runs on devices like Navita Shield TV, whatever that is. Um, But yeah, people are saying it's a pretty smart move particularly because um, a lot of people already use Android TV without even realizing that they do. So 10% of smart TVs that shipped in 2018 run this quote-unquote operating system, particularly in China, actually. Um, And so, yeah, this adding an interface to... um, I guess the Stadia controller and then to Chromecast, um, it, it's, it'll be easier for users because you wouldn't have to teach them a new interface and it'll feel familiar to them, much like the Fire Stick TV interface or the Apple TV interface. It'll be intuitive. Um, and then I really liked this quote from this article that I'm quoting all this from. At the end of the article, it says, after a day of burying their heads in smartphones, what people really want to do is kick back with a dumb remote. And that's kind of the sentiment that I feel. Um, for a while, I lost my Amazon Fire Stick TV remote and I had to use my phone to basically, because there's an app you can download that um, has like all the same functions as the remote. But I just had, it was such a hassle for me particularly. I don't think this is necessarily the case for Chromecast because it's kind of intuitively streaming. But with the Amazon, I guess, app, remote it um it for one you had to connect to um i guess the same wi-fi and it took forever to connect and once it connected you could scroll to whatever you wanted but then you turn off your phone and then if you want to skip an ad on youtube then you have to re reconnect the remote it was just really annoying so i'm hoping um yeah that google ends up kind of running uh i guess these two chromecast and stadia Uh, integrate them seamlessly together um i don't know if i'm necessarily going to purchase the founder edition um pack in november like i said i'm not really an avid gamer and that but if if it ends up being you know continuing to be popular and they end up doing like a discount on the controller i'd probably do maybe like the free subscription base and then just buy specific games that i would want to play All right, so let's move on to episode three. God, we're only on episode three. There are 13 more episodes and we're already 20 minutes in. Um, Like I said, this is probably going to be a very long episode of Daisyish Days. So uh, thanks for sticking with me. Uh, all right, so episode three, I talked about TikTok. So this this kind of update's not really that big. Um, I guess like in terms of personal use, when I first talked about TikTok, that's when I first downloaded the app and, you know, attempted to make TikToks and um, 
did failed miserably. It took me hours just to make two and I ended up deleting them because they weren't really that good. But um, in terms of watching and spending time on TikTok, uh, I have spent a lot of time. Uh, there have been countless nights where I'm just like, I'm only going to watch TikTok for 30 minutes or 10 minutes. And it ends up being two hours of me just sitting on my phone, watching 10 second to a minute videos of people and a lot of like the older generation they say that you know they don't really understand tiktok they think it's just you know a music lip-syncing uh service or whatever they're 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 really fathomed i guess by the fact that people are getting famous off this app like uh, some of my favorite youtubers they were talking about vidcon and how this new crowd of people these youngsters um these tiktok famous people were at vidcon and you know it's sort of like this new gen z i guess generation of um creators and I think they are I guess because they don't really use because I've definitely used the app consistently for the past couple months not really creating content but just watching content it is really addicting and really really cool and um, after trying to make TikToks even though they look really simplistic they actually take a lot of effort to do they really do and some people are just so so good at creating comedy videos or even the quote-unquote lip-syncing a lot of people lip-sync to the same songs but it's it's still interesting to watch people lip-syncing even it's the same like little clip it's really interesting to watch people's different facial expressions while they do it um there's also remixes of of really popular i guess audios um and they, you know, I don't know. It's just really cool to me. And I think it's definitely going to continue to blow up and continue to be a place where um, people can, you know, be creative and foster their creativity. And I guess, like, guess the news update about TikTok is that ByteDance, the company that made TikTok, and Douyin, which is the Asian version of TikTok, they are actually uh, confirming that they are going to try to produce a smartphone. Um, so they made a deal with Smartisan, uh, earlier this year which acquired a number of its patents and employees and so it's going to basically continue um to i guess promote or i guess further the smartest agenda of making a phone and they are aiming to satisfy the needs of an older smartisan user base i'm guessing smartest i've never heard of it i'm guessing it's mainly probably just going to first launch launch in china and asia and stuff like that is i don't know my guess guess in the dark um people aren't really surprised by this i guess announcement because um they've already expanded into messaging so bite dance it not only does tiktok and doyen it also has a news i guess app um it's sort of like i would i would uh, i've never used it but i guess it's sort of like the buzzfeed of um news articles maybe a little elevated than buzzfeed because there are um like real news on it but there's but it also like uses algorithms to kind of promote things that they think that you'll be interested in and you know a lot of people really like light-hearted content in terms of that so i think that's sort of what it is um but yeah they're reportedly thinking about launching a music streaming service as well which i think would be really interesting i don't know how music is streamed in asia um i don't know how well they will do in the u.s and i guess western market because spotify and apple music is so prominent but yeah people are are suggesting that probably um this app um 
this music streaming service app, as well as TikTok, will probably be pre-installed in their phones, which will, I guess, just further their agenda of being this um, conglomerate of, uh, I don't even know what to call it, like smartphone, mobile company, mobile technology company is a good umbrella of it. I mean, I think it'd be pretty interesting to go ahead and download. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, they own, if they do a music streaming service, they own both of them. So why not just install it on their phone? Um, But yeah, I guess that's the news for TikTok. All right, let's go into the next episode. I think this is episode four. And so on episode four, it was titled, Nothing is Lost on the Internet. And so this was kind of a play on words because the poem that I read at the end of this episode was Nothing is Lost by Noel coward and so in this episode i talked about how celebrities who delete stuff on their social media um even though they delete it it's not necessarily lost on social media or the internet in particular because fans screenshot all of their every single move they make on a digital platform and i was talking about how their use of social media is quite different from people um, I guess the civilians, because, you know, if I delete something, no one's going to screenshot it. And if they do, they're not going to publicly post it. Who cares? You know, but it doesn't mean we're left out. Um, even for us, nothing is lost on the internet because there's things like people finder sites that kind of scrape all of your digital data. And basically if you type in your name and your zip code, you can find, um, your address, your phone number. And while it might not be, you know, currently updated and relevant, um, But it's still, um, like for me, when I looked at it, I I found my old address and old phone number. It was crazy. But yeah, so I guess in terms of this whole topic of nothing is lost on the internet, a really, really good current example of that is Face app. And I guarantee you, if you're listening to this episode um, this week, you will, you are going to, oh, I just dropped a card. You're going to be, um, you definitely know what Face app is. Face app is that thing. You know how on your social media feed you're seeing all of these um, photoshopped photos of people um, who are older, um, who basically, you know, they have a picture of themselves and then there's a filter that makes them like look realistically old, like the wrinkles, the gray hair. It looks so real. And so everyone was so, so turned by this and everyone was doing everyone, even celebrities like Jonas Brothers, Drake, the Jersey Shore cast, Mindy Kaling, um, Heidi Klum, Gordon Ramsay, all of them and, and, and infinitely more have been using this app. And, um, the latest news about this is that people are kind of wary about, um, I guess they're, they're kind of telling people not to download and not to use this app because um, it is a Russian-created app. Um, it's headquartered in St. Petersburg. And yeah, especially the Democratic Party. So I was reading this Washington Post article about how Democratic leaders are warning people who are, you know, in the campaigns and people who are, you know, working for the party to delete this Russian created app and to not upload their photos to it. Because, um, you know, while it's not clear what the privacy risks are at the moment, but it is clear that the benefits of avoiding the app outweighs the risks in terms of um what they say and um i oh and i i so regret it because i jumped on the bad bandwagon and downloaded it and did my face um i didn't post it but i was just so curious about what i would look like when i was old and i think that is the scary thing it's like that's why so many people are using it because it looks so realistic and everyone's so curious and they just download it without even thinking about reading the terms of service no one reads terms of services 
in general. But this particular terms of service is really, really vague and semi-sketchy. And so basically in the app's terms of service, it says that the users grant the company a per perpetual perpetual <laughs> Oh, Daisy. Perpetual, irrevocable, and worldwide license to use the user's photos, the name, the likeness in any particular way it sees fit. Ooh, that sounds really, really chillingly, um, bone chillingly vague. Um, And also, if the user deletes content from the app, FaceApp can still store and use it um, according to the terms and FaceApp also says that it can't guarantee the user's data or information is secure and that the company can share the user information with other companies and third-party advertisers which aren't disclosed in the privacy terms. And so literally, if you have used FaceApp, I mean, while like, you know, the privacy concerns are unclear, it, it is a, there is a chance, there is a possibility, whether how small that um, the photos that you uploaded and the photos that you use is in this database forever and can be used against you. Um, and so the chief executive and founder of FaceApp, they told Washington Post that um, while it's, you know, the research and develop team is based in Russia, no user data is transferred into the country and quote unquote, most images are deleted from the company servers within 48 hours. Um, he also said that the app uploads people's photos to the cloud of services run by Amazon and Google, meaning deleting the app would likely make no difference on how the photos are used. And um, so, yeah, all of this just sounds super sketchy. And I guess the last little tidbit of news about this is Baptiste Robert. I don't don't know why I said it like that. He's French. I don't know if that's how you say it when you're French. But he's a security researcher um, who looked into the traffic between FaceApp on his phone and the Internet um, to understand how the network operates for users. And he found that only the photos that are uploaded and modified are saved to the server, not the user's entire camera roll. Um, but he also said that he didn't think that the app was compliant with the European Union new general data protection regulation. And so while he found that it doesn't necessarily upload all of your photos, I can I can imagine if you are a high profile um, case that they 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 will technically have access to your whole camera roll and could technically download all of it. Yeah. So if you didn't know that, there you go. <laughs> and now to move on to some more lighter news. So in my next podcast episode, I talked about Artemis Fowl and how it was my favorite, favorite childhood series and how I am so excited for the movie to come out. It comes out in August, actually, I think. And I'm, oh, I'm so excited to watch it. And um, I posted about my Artemis Fowl podcast on my Instagram and Ian Colford, the author, liked my Artemis Fowl post that I did. And I fangirled and geeked out so hard. Um, But yeah, Ian Colfer, he is um, a Dublin-based author, and he's actually returning to the world of Artemis Fowl almost 20 years after its first publication for a spinoff series called The Fowl Twins. Of course, I mean, everyone is doing spinoffs these days. So while it is kind of an eye roll, like, okay, now that it's becoming more popular, you really want to, you know, milk it. Um, 
I don't care. Like I am genuinely really excited for this spinoff. So Artem's foul. Um, he actually has two twin brothers. Um, I don't remember their names, but they're, you know, his younger brothers. And um, one of them is sort of really cunning and smart, like Artemis Fowl, and the other one's sort of like, he's kind of like the brute force. Like, he's not as sharp and smart, but he is, like, strong and stuff like that. So, like, their dynamic is so cute um, when I was reading about it in the Artemis Fowl series. And you don't really, like, they, they're definitely side characters in the actual Artemis Fowl series. So I am genuinely really excited to follow their lives and their stories in this new series. And so Ian Colfer was quoted saying... It's a little more gothic, so it's humorous and direct. The Artemis Fowl books are twisty-turny, but this is so much chase, so it's really fun. So I'm assuming this is more, it's going to be less, because with the Artemis Fowl series, man, the last book got so dark. It was like end-of-the-world apocalypse dark. And so I'm assuming the Fowl Twins is going to be um, a lot of adventures, but probably not like end-of-the-world apocalypse dangers. Um... But yeah, so Kenneth Braunith, Kenneth Braunith, so bad at pronouncing names, but yeah, he's the director of the new Artemis Fowl movie, um, and so basically he did an interview, I don't know, with some, uh, somebody, but they're basically, because he's so good at, I guess, visual effects and video, visual production, he's done a bunch of different movies um, Thor, Cinderella, um, Murder on the Orient Express, etc., has a Rolodex of a lot of high visual effects movies. And so he did kind of an interview about, I guess, talking about this. And one of the questions was, when dealing with scenes featuring virtual elements, how do you guide actors' performances? And I thought his his answer, particularly about the Artemis Fowl movie that's coming out, was really, really interesting. So he said um, that they sort of try to involve all of the visual effects colleagues with the actors from an early stage. So for instance, in the Artemis Fowl series there is a what he says a formidable creature and i can only assume that is the troll so trolls in the artemis foul world are these brute almost huge bull-like creatures that are very small-brained but very very powerful huge creatures and so in the artemis foul the first book and slash movie um, a troll is basically gets sent into artemis foul's house to secure the release of holly which is a leprechaun leprechaun um, police officer um, that is being held hostage and so I'm giving so much away. So if you don't want spoilers, don't listen to this part of the podcast. But um, basically in this world, fairies can only enter a dwelling with the permission of a human. And so they tried to put the troll in the house to kind of get a cry for help from Artemis Fowl and his other people that were in the house to sort of secure their permission to go in. But yeah, and so with this troll character, they basically created a creature um, that was 13.5 feet high and entirely like just like this, you know, three-dimensional model of the troll. Even though the whole, like the whole tro- troll scene is going to be computer generated, this gives the actors a idea of the sense of how big this creature really is. And so that can really influence, I guess, their acting performances, which I thought was really, really interesting. Um, so yeah, uh, that's a nice little quick update about Artemis Fowl. And now let's move on to the next episode. So this is episode six of the podcast. I talked about Gabby Hanna and how she tricked her followers into thinking she went to Coachella, um, by basically photoshopping 
um, photos of the Coachella background and, you know, and then getting stories from her friends to post on her story, etc. She hoodwinked me. I really did think she was at Coachella. Um, and, you know, that's, of course, I mean, there are other people. Like, this is, she's not the first one that's done this. People that, this is the kind of a trend on the internet of people doing this. And it kind of gets mixed results. Some people get really pissed um, when people, like, fake going to go vacations and stuff. I wasn't really pissed at Gabby. I thought it was just kind of funny and um, cool. Um, but, yeah, so she really released her EP two-way mirror I think she released it last month or so um and it's definitely been hitting the charts so um a month ago it earned number five on the billboard charts um it's the basically the billboards emerging artist charts so it ranks top artists who have yet to score major hits on on one of the key billboard album or song charts and so she scored number five which is really really dope and then um it entered uh top three on the u.s itunes sales chart um as of uh friday this friday i don't know what whenever this friday that this article popped up she was in top three in the itunes sales chart and i'm really really happy for her i'm really really proud for, proud of her i really do like gabby hannah i think her personality is so great she actually just recently bought her first home it's sort of crazy how these digital influencers like a lot of youtubers have really really nice homes um and so Gabby, she's been living in like a two-bedroom apartment for forever. And so she, she was talking about in her house tour video how, you know, she saved up so much money for this. And she was so excited for her new house. Or her new house is so pretty and so unique. And um, yeah, her album is actually really, really good. So um, in terms of like, I, I will listen to anything. But in terms of what I listen to alone, I sort of have called it like emo pop. That's or emo indie Anyway, um, it's it's basically I love songs that have a really really cool beat and melody, but the lyrics are so emo and so emotional, and I feel like that is a pretty accurate description of what Gabby's EP is like. Um, and it's crazy because she's a YouTuber, right? So a lot of people, a lot of YouTubers um, are making music and stuff um, that I I don't want to throw shade, but like some some of them are really really not good i'm not gonna tell i'm not gonna name names but like some of them are really really bad but gabby's music actually sounds really really legit it's so good when she came out with her first single out loud i was shocked and like that's really what got me hooked onto um really like i guess following her religiously but yeah two-way mirror is so sad so basically it's about her ex-boyfriend the whole ep is about her ex-boyfriend and uh, the song perfect day in the album kind of just tells the story of how she had this perfect day with her then boyfriend you know they went to the beach they, they had so much fun and then she was taking a shower at his place and then in the steam of the mirror she saw the words i love you written in it and the kicker is that it was not written in his handwriting and so that's how she found out that he was cheating on her um but yeah that's oof and just and the thing I really like about her music is that she writes all of her lyrics she's actually a poet like she has a book of poetry out um so yeah I think that's really really cool that she's a songwriter I don't necessarily think she like writes the beats or the melodies of her songs but the fact that she's part of the creative process um really makes her music authentic and it really resonates with me all right so the next thing we're going to talk about and this is the last thing we're going to talk about before um we go on break i do have a sincere shout out a really good sincere shout out um this on this episode of the podcast so 
the last thing we're going to talk about is Facebook. Uh, everyone knows Facebook. And so Facebook, um, I guess uh, in the seventh episode of Daisy Chase, I talked about how the future of Facebook is private and that in their developers conference, they talked about how they were going to emphasize privacy in terms of their social media app, in terms of their messenger app and, you know, data encrypt everything, etc. Uh, make it more focused on your friends and less on, you know, advertisers and third party advertisers. Um, but they just published an update on its futuristic brain typing project from Facebook's Reality Labs backed scientists at University of California, San Francisco. So, so much for privacy, right? Because this brain typing project, basically what, so they described it in 2017 as a non-invasive mass market cap, so like a little hat that lets people type more than 100 words per minute without manual text entry or speech to text transcription. So basically, Basically, if you think thoughts and then they will um, write them down, I think that's so crazy and so futuristic. Um, who knows? Eventually, maybe it will happen. And so basically, researchers said that it could be used to improve the lives of people who can't speak due to paralysis, but it could also be used in interrogations. Can you imagine if we have, if, you know, the police or the CIA or if or like interrogating someone and they put this little thinking cap on them and they ask them questions and then their brain you know responds to it's it's that is some dark sci-fi stuff um but in reality the future is far from um facebook's 2017 goal for this um brain typing project and so the research that has been released now so the uc SF, the people from um, the California San Francisco University, their researchers published the results of an experiment in de decoding people's speech using implanted electrodes. And so basically they had a sub, sub a few people who were about to get like I think epilepsy surgery and so they were they had they um say so they I think that maybe they're already sedated or they already had I guess electrodes connected to them. And so basically these subjects they listened to a multiple choice question and then spoke the answers out loud and then the electrodes recorded activity in the parts of their brain associated with understanding and producing the speech looking for patterns that match with specific words and phrases in real time and so basically they asked you know which musical instrument do you like listening to and they would respond from a um, preset choice of options like violin or drums while the brain activity was recorded and then the system could guess um, when they were asking a question and when they were answering it and if they guess corrects on um, both of the speech events um, they basically get a point or whatever um, so the system like that produced the results with um, a 61 to 76% accuracy compared to the 7 to 20% accuracy expected by chance. And so the, um, I guess the lead author and professor Edward Chang, he basically said that this shows the value of decoding both sides of a conversation. So basically decoding both the question and the answer. This really helps with the accuracy of predicting um, speech. Um, but I mean, like I said, this is really, really preliminary because it, the system, it only recognizes a very limited set of words so far. They had, they were only asked nine questions to 24 answers total, 24 like answer options. Um, 
And so, yeah. So, and then also they were speaking the answers out loud, not simply thinking them. So basically, it's the same thing as Siri. And it's not the same thing. But basically, I mean, where we are right now in the technology is basically similar to Siri, where you can speak something and then, um, or even like text speech dictation if you speak something and then the uh, computer or whatever will register this and then send the text or answer your question or whatever um but i think this is a really interesting idea and the fact that um that this is happening and the fact that um that we're getting this step closer to a brain reading technology while it, it can be scary i do agree it can be very helpful i do think we're very very far from this but you know if research like this keeps on progressing and more and more people are you know looking into this eventually i'm assuming we'll be able to map um to a certain extent uh especially in like simplistic things like for example facebook talked about how um in virtual and augmented reality um this brain reading technology could even in its like very limited capabilities could be really really helpful in decoding just a handful of imagined words so basically if you think um next or select or delete then the vr could read this and then you know do these simple commands and i really think that's interesting and i really hope that's kind of though we are really far away from this i really hope that's kind of where the future is headed and even think that this was possible and people are researching it yeah. And so, all right, that is so much information. This is going to be a really long podcast, guys. So thank you again for sticking with me. But I am going to take a really quick, short, sincere shout out break. And then we will be back to talk about the rest of the podcast episodes and updates on them. So stay tuned. All right, so this short, sincere shout out goes to an iPad Pro keyboard case by OZII. So I bought this from Amazon. I don't know necessarily, it doesn't really have a specific name. You should just type in OZII and then iPad Pro 11 keyboard case. You'll probably find it. But yeah, as you know, I am an avid review reader. And so I literally scoured the internet trying to find a perfect iPad. I literally have a list of them. And it just, it's just to the point where I was just like, I just need to pick something. I picked something. Thing. it did not it was the quality was really bad so I like sent it back and eventually I settled on this one it only had three customer reviews so I was a little bit skeptical but it is honestly perfect and so it is so it, one it has a backlit keyboard two um it's really sleek and looks really nice so it, it has like two little um slits or like curves on the side to hold the iPad and they're really slim and I was really worried it wasn't going to hold the iPad but it clicked into place and it like has not fallen since and yeah the little stand in the back is really cool because it like goes from a completely 180 so you can like or we can go really high or you can really really flat um but yeah and it also has an auto sleep and wake function so if you just close the keyboard case um it it automatically turns off um the bluetooth is really um easy to connect and yeah the keys are really nice to type with so i highly highly recommend it if you have an ipad pro 11 all right back to the podcast Okay, we are back. So for episode eight, I talked about James Charles and basically the drama surrounding him. He's a YouTuber, beauty guru, and basically um, this other YouTube guru, Tati, called him out on basically promoting a um, vitamin gummy company that wasn't hers and how she was like saying that she was like such good friends with James and he, you know, she was a mentor to him and he basically, um, and then she also called him out for other things 
things such as hitting on straight guys and sort of making people uncomfortable, etc. Um, but yeah, after this video came out, basically people were saying, cancel James Charles. And there are all these TikToks, all these memes about how he was canceled. People were destroying his Morphe palette, etc. And I talked about how this sort of um, level of hate is astronomical and not necessarily good for someone's mental health. I don't think he necessarily, even though what he did probably wasn't right, and he didn't deserve that level of hate. And in general, I just think cancel culture is so toxic. It is people are getting canceled left and right. It's like almost become a joke now. And I just think this is bad because it's like, it's basically saying, um, it's basically making it so that people and you can never forget the past, um, that you can never grow. And um, I don't think that's, you know, there's this whole thing of be your best self, right? That is a motto that a lot of people live by. But this alludes to having a worst self, you know? I think you should accept yourself, um, at every stage of your life and I think um you know be, even though James maybe made some people uncomfortable etc and a lot of people started unfollowing him um on Instagram I just you know I think I think he's learned from his past he's still so young you know and some you know when you're young you make dumb mistakes that's it Anyway, an update on him. I guess he's not canceled so much anymore. He just did a video where he, basically he DM'd celebrities to pick out his makeup and he used the makeups they picked out um, in a really, really cute look. I watched the video this morning. And it was really, really cool. Like, I I never stopped unfollowing James and I didn't unsubscribe from him from YouTube. Like I said, I just, you know, I, you know, in some cases, yeah, but, you know, p people do is, you know, really, really bad. And sometimes, you know, it's just kind of like hard to forgive. But I just felt like what he did wasn't that bad. And um, yeah, so basically, you know, he got, you know, DMs from like Kim Kardashian and Millie Bobby Brown and Kylie Jenner and um, Iggy Azalea, Rihanna, etc. And it's so funny now, like all these, um, I guess, <laughs> news outlets, mainly just like, you know, I wouldn't say, I don't even call them news outlets, but like Cosmopolitan and like all these um, magazines are being like, oh my God, look at this video. James Charles is DMing celebrities, blah, 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 blah. And Cosmopolitan actually said he's now a semi-controversial beauty vlogger. So he's not controversial anymore, right? He's semi. Um, and so, yeah, I just don't know. I just don't understand why they just, I don't know it's kind of everyone's kind of in this clickbait culture, right? And so saying that someone's canceled really gets um, people to click the either the news article or the video and they just, you know, they want to watch it. And I, I would have to say that I'm sort of, um, I've, uh, I guess I, I, I do this as well because the podcast episode I titled with the whole James Charles thing, I titled it The End of James Charles. And that um, is a bit unfair. I kind of do regret saying that. Um, but if you actually listen to the podcast, you'll see that I talk about how um, I don't think he deserved the hate that he got. And it's really, really interesting, uh, this whole cancel culture. Culture. I was listening to this podcast with um, uh, Niga Higa, Ryan Higa, and Anna Akana. It was Niga Higa's podcast, but Anna Akana was on it as a guest. And basically, they were talking about how jokes that they made like 10 years ago um, sometimes resurface and people kind of call them out on stuff and um, Nika Higo was talking about how um, he did a video way back in the day where he used the word faggot and they were talking about how back in the day that sort of thing was kind of 
even though it sounds horrible to say now, it was kind of acceptable. People said retarded in everyday language and it's only just till recently that that word has become not okay. And so he said that he's not going to take down the video because in the context of the time, it was fine, right? But, and then Anna also said the story about how she used to have a podcast with her ex-boyfriend that was all about kind of like being offensive and like making offensive jokes kind of. And there was a question that someone asked is like, if you could get away with anything, what would you do? And she made a joke saying, um, she would want to try to rape a guy because she thought and the thing is she like says how like um, as comedians you know she was just trying to be funny um, and you know of course it was really offensive and people bring it up saying like oh my god she's such a man hater blah, blah 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 but you know in reality it's you know that's you know it's not true she was just trying to make an, a joke um, on the fly and it turned out to be you know offensive and um, but yeah I mean I don't think that these little actions should come back and haunt you for the rest of your life people grow people change people learn and I think we should be accepting of that um but yeah I mean the video is really cool um it got for James Charles that DMing celebrities video it got almost like 10 million views which is sort of coming back to like sort of his I guess usual view count I think after the whole Tati scandal people it was around like 4 million 2 million views on his videos but now after this oh my god he knows celebrities blah 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 now people are sort of trying to tune in and watch again um but yeah I'm glad that he's doing well and so the next episode that we're going to talk about is Disney Plus. So I talked about how the, I think I, I don't remember what I titled it, it's sort of like Goodbye Netflix Hello Google Plus or something like that. And basically Google Plus is going to be its um, subscription streaming TV movie service. It's going to be um, $6.99 a month and it's going to start in November 12th. And although there hasn't been anything official from Disney in terms of the service or um, what will be on the service, CNET did a little bit of digging and compiled pre-existing data to come up with a fairly extensive lineup. And so basically... Marvel Studios, because um, Disney owns Marvel, so Captain Marvel is going to be on there, Thor, The Dark World, the original Iron Man, Iron Man 3, um, they'll all be available to stream at the launch date. Um, Adventure Endgames will be on in December 11th, but no Infinity War, which is presumably because it's still on Netflix through a earlier licensing deal. Um, and then also Endgame is being released on Blu-ray and DVD um, next month on August 13th, so it makes sense that they're going to wait to put it on the streaming service um, until December. And then also like just a bunch of bunch of other things. This is why I feel like Disney Plus is going to be definitely a competitor, definitely a next big thing, not only because they're going to bundle Hulu and ESPN potentially, but also because they just have a library of content that people want to consume. Iron Man 2, Ga Guardians of the Galaxy, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Black Panther, Captain America, and that's just Marvel. They're also doing all of the all six of the Star Wars movies. Um is going to be on there, but not The Last Jedi or Solo, which have been licensed again to Netflix. And then um, and then also Pixar, all of the Animation House movies will be available to stream other than Toy Story 4, which opened in theaters last month. They're also going to have Disney Plus original movies. The only one that they have available for, at the launch date will be a reboot of the 1955 an animated film Lady the Tramp. Super cute. And then they also have a Disney original series, such as, you know, Toy Story 4. There's a character 
character named Forky, and I think they're going to do something like Forky asks a question, and they're going to make a series out of that. Um, but yeah, it's really, really interesting um, that it's it's sort of transitioning, right? So they're still, they still have licensing deals to Netflix, but obviously they're not going to make any more because they're just going to put it on their streaming platform. That being said, I think I was also a bit clickbaity with this title saying um, goodbye Netflix because I don't think Netflix is going to go away. Um, They just released Stranger Things July 4th and oh my god, I literally, I waited a couple weeks to watch it just because, I don't know, I just waited a couple weeks. But once I started, I literally binged it in two days. Like I could not stop watching it. I was just like, "I, I have to know what happens. I have to know what happens. And like it was so good um i think i mean if even if you don't watch stranger things i'm pretty sure you've heard people say that you know season two wasn't that great but season three was amazing and i have to agree it was amazing i'm not going to give any spoilers but you should i genuinely recommend even if you haven't seen stranger things at all to go watch it watch it from the beginning all episodes are streaming now on netflix this is not a sponsored statement yeah because who's going to sponsor this podcast no one listens to this podcast at the moment but um but yeah no I really do think wow the only downfall for Netflix right I've mentioned this in my um the podcast that I talked about all of this that the thing that Netflix lacks is this library of content um these these well-known franchises um that disney has and so they're spending an enormous amount of money creating their original series and you know i feel like they're i don't remember what i said but i think they're kind of in debt right now trying to you know produce all these all this content and that's why they're slowly 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 increasing the price of their subscription service so for two screens um it's basically two people watching at the same time um, it's $15.99. It's going to be $15.99 now. And yeah, that's it's literally reaching HBO status at the moment. And I'm and the thing is, like, i even if they charge like $20 eventually, I can't give it up. I can't give up Queer Eye. They also released a new Queer Eye. I can't give that up. It was the new season was so good. Stranger Things, Black Mirror, all of these, they're they're creating their own franchises now, which I think is really, really interesting. I just really don't want them to increase the price anymore. Like, please, Lord, do not. So I am starting to hit subscription fatigue, honestly. Um, But yeah. Okay, so we're actually almost done, you guys. This is probably going to be a little short of a part two. Let's see. Hopefully we can keep this under an hour and a half. It's the longest podcast I've ever done. Crazy. Anyway, um, so Woodstock 50. I talked about that in my 10th episode, maybe. Um, so basically Woodstock 50, everyone knows the iconic iconic Woodstock that happened 50 years ago. And now they're trying to make a new, um, I guess, 50 year anniversary Woodstock festival happen. And people are deeming it to be the next fire festival. I said in the previous episode that I don't think it is going to be the next fire festival because people are not being hoodwinked. No, no tickets have been sold yet. It's not like people are going to show up and they're going to be on a deserted island. I don't, I think that's a bit of a title as well I said that if anything it just won't happen and now I really now that it's two weeks out from the concert it's supposed to happen like August 16th and still there is no word of there's tickets have still have yet to be on sale the website is still up but tickets have not been on sale I just think it's not going to happen okay so in the past 24 hours there actually have been a lot of news about Woodstock 50 so basically on July 30th of this year 
um, headliner Miley Cyrus pulled out of the festival, including um, Ray Contours, the Lumineers, and original Woodstock 1969 performers John Sebastian and Joe McDonald have all pulled out. And these are not the only people. Like there's a plethora of lists, like Jay Z and all of them have all pulled out of this festival. And yeah, so the status of Imagine Dragons and the Killers, these are the last two headline level acts. Um, they have not pulled out yet, but it's still unclear. Um, you know, the uh, festival, like I said, have not listed upcoming tour dates. Oh, sorry, I didn't mention this. So the festival, um, I guess for Imagineers and not Imagineers, <laughs> I just combined Lumineers and Imagine Dragons. Not Imagineers. Imagine Dragons and the Killers. So the festival is not listed in their upcoming tour dates on either of their websites. Um, and the rep the reps have neither declined or responded to requests or comments on whether or not these acts are going to be at Woodstock. So, yeah, I guess I'll let you know in, in two weeks if it ends up happening. I guess you'll know if it ends up happening. Um, but, yeah. Okay, let's see. Let's move on to virtual influencers. So, in my next um, podcast episode, I talked about virtual influencers. Basically, people like Michaela Sousa, um, Bermuda, <laughs> Colonel Sanders of KFC. They are all basically CGI-generated virtual beings that are influencing us on social media media and I just dove deep I guess into the world of virtual influencers and last week in San Francisco entrepreneurs researchers and investors all gathered for the first virtual being summit which was organized by Fable Studios CEO Edward Sachi and if you remember from my previous episode Fable Studios was the one that created Lucy which was a VR experience for kids basically it followed a little girl named Lucy and you're basically her um imaginary friend and in the way you interact with her she re responds differently so if you take away her teddy bear she starts crying etc and so they announced in the summit that there's going to be a grant program and corporations like amazon apple google and microsoft are investing and pouring resources into conversational ai technology and then chip maker nvidia and game engines unreal and unity are advancing uh, real-time ray tracking for photorealistic graphics and yeah, and he, uh, whoever wrote this article said in his survey or her survey of media VCs, one of the most common interests are virtual influencers. And so when I talked about this in my podcast episode, I didn't necessarily really have a definition. Um, I just kind of did the whole umbrella of virtual beings and then sort of virtual influences fell under this category along with um, things like Lucy. But now it seems that there is an, I guess, semi-official definition or three categories that these virtual beings go under and so the three categories are virtual companions um, similar to Lucy humanoid character creation I guess this is like CGI like the stuff that unity and all of them are doing for video games and then lastly virtual influencers social media influencers like I said like Michaela Sousa Bermuda KFC etc um this article, um, it said, like, I, could, I couldn't read the whole article because you had to subscribe to read it all. So I don't necessarily, I can't really go in depth with the last two categories. Um, but for virtual companions, they basically, their definition of it is a conversational AI that is built for a unique one-on-one -on -one relationship with us, whether to provide friend, friendship or utility. And so they have sort of a breakdown of that as well. So for virtual companions, you can have like a physical presence, sort of like robotics, 
inter interactive visual media, so like um, social media, gaming, AR, VR, text-based messaging, um, I guess sort of like when you text and um, it kind of responds like the computer responds to you or interactive voice um, such as Siri, Alexa, Google Assistant. So that's sort of the um, virtual companions category. The other two, um, if you want to read the article, <laughs> uh, I guess I can put it in my reference links. I haven't really been doing reference links on my Patreon. Um, kind of stopped doing that mainly because I don't have any Patreons at the moment and I feel like that's not really that interesting anyway. Um, but I mean, if, if just let me know. I mean, if you want me to continue to do it if you think it's interesting um just let me know i think i'm gonna start using my patreon more for i guess cooler exclusive content like i'm thinking about maybe reading some of my own poetry and explaining it on my patreon because you know how at the end of this podcast i always do a poem recite a poem at, after the outro song so i might do stuff like that you know post videos because i do have a camcorder and i like to semi-vlog um and so I can maybe put some of that up there um and maybe just like because I do write scripts for all of these episodes and so maybe I can just like give you the google doc of my script and that might actually be more interesting than just me giving you reference url links Anyway, I digress. <laughs> Let's move on to the next topic. And so this is the next to last podcast that I talked about. And so I talked about Amazon and how it is the internet is the wild, wild west. I titled the um, the episode Wild, Wild Amazon because on Amazon, they have, they're having a serious problem with counterfeit goods. So sellers on Amazon are noticing that their products are being sold by third-party people, um, and Amazon is allowing this to happen. Um, and yeah, so... <laughs> This is completely, I guess, different. I'm not really going to talk about that. But Amazon just had their Prime Day a couple weeks ago. That's how I got my iPad Pro, actually, because I am a deal queen and I was not about to buy an iPad unless I could get some sort of deal on it. And Apple rarely does deals on their electronics. And so, yeah, basically, this is like their Black Friday, right? And a couple, like, they started it in 2015 and it's just blown up since then. I think it used to be like a 24-hour thing. Now, it's like a 36-hour thing. And companies are following suit because like I said in my previous episode that um, Amazon with its two-day shipping has changed the whole e-commerce and retail business. Companies are going to have to start losing money like Amazon on their e-commerce um, ventures if they want to compete with Amazon. And so now in July, it seems that we're going to have a July Black Friday because of Amazon. Um Fun fact, I did not get my iPad Pro from Amazon because their deal on Apple products kind of sucked. They didn't have any deals on the one I wanted. But Best Buy did have a deal on the iPad Pro 11 that I really wanted. And they also um, did like a $50 student discount, which I'm going to be a student in the fall. So yeah, that was pretty, pretty dope. I mean, it was at the end of the day, it was only like, I want to say I only saved like, it really wasn't much. I'm trying to think like literally maybe like $200, but like for an Apple product, sadly, that's um, pretty, it was the lowest I think it's ever been. Um, but yeah, in terms of news, and so the first Prime Day in 2015, it blindsided Amazon's rivals, but now um, Walmart, Best Buy, eBay are launching their anti-Prime Day sales to counter the retail juggernaut. Um, however, Edison Trends, which analyzed 60,000 transactions at Amazon and its rivals on July 15th and 16th, 
the Amazon Prime days, recently reported that Amazon still accounted for 86.7% of all online spending during the Prime Day window. Phew. That's I'm looking at this pie chart now, and if if um if you want me, I can put us on the Patreon. But yeah, it's a uh, 80 88% is a lot, or 86. Sorry, 86% is a lot, and I'm I mean. I could see why. I mean, like I said, the two-day shipping and just the reliability of that is just so enticing. And the fact that um, there's just so many weird trinkets that are on Amazon. And literally, it, they were doing lightning sales. And I was I was following it a little bit. But it's just like, actually, in my opinion, it was kind of overwhelming. There were so many things that were um, on sale and like some of them were only on sale for a certain amount of time. And like I was trying really hard to figure out how to get reminders for the things that I really wanted to purchase to the point where I was just like, I can't do this. The only things I really purchased on Amazon Prime Day, let's see, I purchased um, a ring light because I wanted one, a better light to do my makeup. And two, if I ever start um, streaming or recording these podcasts, I wanted something to light my face. Um, and then I think I just bought an iPad case, but like I mentioned in my sincere shout out, I ended up returning that iPad case. I don't even think it was really, I think it was only a couple dollars off, which is why I decided to get it. Oh, excuse me. I had, to, oh, I had to burp, but I like swallowed it because I didn't want to stop recording this audio. Um, yeah. And yeah, that really just brings me to the last podcast that I did. The last podcast I did, I had my first ever guest, Celie Thompson. She's one of my greatest and best and oldest friends. If you haven't heard that podcast, definitely check it out. It's really hilarious, really different from any of my other podcasts because it's more casual. It's more fun. And yeah. We ended up talking a lot about, I guess, the past in terms of how we grew up with MySpace and flip phones. And on Disney Channel, we watched like Hannah Montana, Hannah Montana, who is now Miley Cyrus. I'm pretty sure people in the Gen Z generation don't even know who Hannah Montana is. Um, And yeah, we talked about the sweet life of Zach and Cody. And so I guess like a quick little tidbit update is that um, Cole Sprouse, he's on Riverdale, Um, him and co-star Lillian Reinhardt, what's her name? Um, but yeah, they, they're, they're co-stars in Riverdale and they're also dating and there is all like all of these like, um, gossip sites were blowing up about how they broke up. And I don't, I don't know if this is a media stunt, like they planned this or if people were just making rumors, but they both recently posted a photo of a photo shoot they did for, I think for W magazine. And they, the captions were hilarious. Basically they're just like, none of uh, it, it is, it is announced that like none of these viable sources, no shit uh i'm trying not to cuss on this podcast but yeah basically it says something like that and then like basically just calling out how absurd gossip com like call like columnists are and just you know interfering with celebrities lives even though they don't know anything (sighs) the clickbait culture that we live in so yeah wow okay so this second part i guess like went a lot faster than the first part um i guess we can do like a really because i know this is like really really running late it's probably the longest podcast i've ever done i'm trying to think of any um media obsessions that i have that i haven't talked about 
The only thing I can really think of is Ed Sheeran's new album. I don't think I've talked about that yet. So Ed Sheeran, um, I literally, I want to say my all-time favorite artist. I love Ed Sheeran so, so, so much. I love him to the point where I um, basically, I got both of his EPs on CD. It's probably like the one of the only CDs I ever own. I got it on eBay because I really wanted to listen to his songs. I've talked about this, but yeah. So basically, um, I guess this is before he blew up. He did like a number five collaboration. Um, basically, Basically, um, he did a collaboration with um, a bunch of, I guess, like British rappers, is like, I guess, the, and then some other people. But yeah, so now he does. Now that he's um, super, super famous, he did a number six collaboration um, CD with a bunch, a plethora of artists that you know, Cardi B, Camila Cabela, um, her, um, Khalid, Chance the Rapper, Travis Scott, etc. Like so many artists. I love that album so much um my favorite song on the album is of course um a love ballad because i think that's like the og ed sheeran that i really like it's the best part of me featuring yeba i don't know who yeba is probably i should look that up um okay so she her top songs on spotify don't leave me lonely featuring yeba evergreen they don't care about us featuring yeba don't know those songs really bad at uh, knowing artists but yeah so that that was a really really good um, album and then in terms of I guess other content I've been consuming a lot of YouTube per usual and so Shane Dawson just released a video this is the first video he's released in five months and he did a basically sort of a documentary um, an hour documentary about the return of Eugenia Cooney and so I didn't know about her actually until I saw this video um, she's basically a youtuber who people assumed kind of had an eating disorder because she was so skinny she ended up taking like uh, an internet break for about a month and it turns out that she was in rehab for an eating disorder and people were saying she looks so much better etc etc um but yeah no it was just Shane I think is a very um interesting youtuber because his content has shifted tremendously throughout the years he's been on youtube for years 10 years now and i really like the new shane i've always adored shane and i think he's really really smart in knowing how to navigate youtube because a lot of youtubers who have been on the platform for 10 years kind of do the same content for years until both them the fans and the youtuber gets tired of the content and they kind of burn out shane has really changed his image a lot and people are still with him such as myself this video has 27 million views on it and yeah, um, I actually started following Eugenia as well and I watched the video she did with Shane and I've watched the videos that she's done by herself testing Jeffree Star's um, makeup as well as answering Q&A questions and I really, really like her and she's, the reason why I like her is because she is like, she's like, um, very sweet like um almost like too sweet if that's even like a thing like if you think like of, of a very decadent dessert that's Eugenia Cooney she can never say anything mean about anybody and she's just I don't know she seems really cool I'm following her stuff um Philip DeFranco did sort of a little coverage on it and this is how I found out there is some, of course always on the internet there's some controversy about Shane's video people were saying that they, he didn't go deep enough and then now there's friends of Eugenia Cooney coming out saying that um um, basically, they didn't. She, the, the, like she in Shane's video, she called out um, some friends saying that they kind of she didn't, you know, they kind of bullied her into um, changing or something like that. And then the friends who um, they, you know, said that, that that's who they were talking about talked about um, just I guess some behind the scenes of you know 
they weren't trying to bully her. They tried to set an intervention, etc. They really care about her, all this stuff. And then they just called out basically saying like, you know, they're still worried about her because the mom, her mom is like crazy or something. But then in Eugenia's Q&A video, she kind of touched on their video. She's like, I don't even want to talk bad, 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 bad about anyone. But she's like, I'm safe. My mom's really supportive. My family's really loving. So who knows? Who knows what to believe? Um, I'm just going to keep on watching her videos now because I think she's pretty cool. Um, oh, yes. And then in terms terms of um I guess more YouTube stuff I went to the Try Guys concert show in Atlanta it was so good like I've said to you guys before I think I've binged after Eugene's coming out um dance video I like literally fell in love with the Try Guys I knew of them but before that video I didn't really watch them after that video I have literally binge watched all of their content like I can't find any more new videos about them I've watched all their BuzzFeed content I've watched all their collabs I've watched every video on their YouTube channel and yeah so I went to their show with my friend Andrew and I'm not gonna lie I can't remember much of it because we were a little tipsy but I do remember laughing and screaming so hard to the point where my voice was hoarse the next day so it was really really good I really really liked it and then in terms of other YouTube news, let's like, let's wrap this up, you guys. And so the last two things I want to talk about for YouTube, um, I've really gotten into Strictly Dumpling. Um, his, his name is Mikey Chen. Basically, he's like an eating travel channel-ish. I mean, he does a lot of other things. But I found him through the Try Guys because they did a collab with him when they ate like 400 um, um, soup dumplings or something like that. And then, yeah, I've just been following. I've been, I don't know why. It's just so interesting to watch him eat, which I know sounds super weird. But like, I don't know. The food he eats looks so good. And he like can eat so much. Like he Like I've watched like a bunch of his like all-you-can-eat buffet videos. And it's like bro, like, I don't know how your stomach is so huge, but I guess that's kind of, like, why it's fun to watch him, because, like, some, I guess, like, food travel shows or whatever, they'll, like, eat a bunch of stuff, but oftentimes they just take a bite or they don't finish it, but he literally tries everything and pretty much finishes every dish, so it's really fun to watch him watch that, and then, okay, so then that last thing I want to talk about, which is so weird I guess like because okay PewDiePie everyone knows PewDiePie even if you don't watch YouTube he is a video gamer who um, now he kind of does like vlogs and um, new stuff meme reviews stuff like that huge YouTuber literally at, at one point he was the most subscribed channel um, of a single because like, like you know there's other like companies that have channels but like he's the most like single entity classic youtuber who has he literally wow i just look he literally has 98 million subscribers he's almost about to hit a hundred million subscribers wow anyway so like i'm i kind of go in and out watching pewdiepie i watch some of his videos i really like his videos with marcia his um fiance but yeah i've literally been because he the thing about pewdiepie that is so amazing is that he makes videos every single day um for he's and he's been doing this for years now and um I didn't even realize this until he's he's basically and it's a joke now but he's basically become like a Minecraft channel um he's been he's been playing Minecraft for like a month now and people are really into it myself included like his his um views have like literally doubled like he's like I think he used to get like 5 million 4 million um but now he's getting like 10 million um just with his Minecraft series, and I am addicted. I am addicted to watching him play Minecraft. I have to admit, I, I've 
always heard about Minecraft. I thought I always thought it was dumb. Um, literally, you're just building things out of blocks. What what could be so appealing about it? But it is appealing, you guys. Like, it's so funny. He has a dog named Sven. He like he used to have a water sheep. He's had two horses named Jurgen. He's built an IKEA tower, a big meatball. All of this sounds extremely absurd if you don't watch his Minecraft series. But those that do will know what I'm talking about. Anyway, after I finish this podcast, I'll probably watch the latest um, PewDiePie video. Um, it's it came out an hour ago, and like I said, I've literally been watching this every day. Like I'm I'm into his Minecraft series. Um, but yeah, wow, this is a really long podcast, guys. Thank you so much for t- like keeping up with it, and I hope this was interesting. Um, I'm gonna try to do these, um, I guess, update videos. Um, I guess I don't know. Whenever I feel like I, whenever I feel like it, whenever like news pops up, I guess. Um, just this week in particular, there's been so much news about the stuff that I've talked about that I decided just to do an update episode, and I really, really enjoyed it. Really had fun. I hope you had fun. And yeah, um, as always, you can stay after the outro song to hear me recite a poem but until then love y'all thanks for listening hope you have a daisyish day Hello, my poetry enthusiast field daisies. Today's poem is a poem about death and how you are the only person that's you, and when you die, that's it. Um, the reason why I wanted to read this poem is because tomorrow I'm actually going to see The Farewell, which is an Asian um, American, or I guess, uh, yeah, it's basically an American film with an entirely Asian cast, which is amazing. And I'm probably going to do a podcast episode about that as well as the other Asian movies that have been out like Crazy Rich Asians. But yeah, the premise of this movie is basically Nai Nai or Nai Lai or whatever. The grandma is dying and the family doesn't want to tell her. And so they stage a fake wedding wedding to get all the family's members back so they can say goodbye to her and it's gonna be really sad and I'm probably gonna cry but yeah this poem is a perfect sentiment of that so without further ado perfection wasted by john updike and another regrettable thing about death is the ceasing of your own brand of magic which took a whole life to develop and market The quips, the witticisms, the slant adjusted to a few. Those loved ones nearest the lip of the stage. Their soft faces blanched in the footlight glow. Their laughter close to tears. Their tears confused with their diamond earrings. Their warm pooled breath in and out with your heartbeat. Their response and your performance twinned. The jokes over the phone, the memories packed in the rapid access file, the whole act. Who will do it again? That's it. No one. Imitators and descendants aren't the same.